Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Very good. Well, it's good to be here with you tonight and to have the opportunity to share with you. I actually love this church. I think it's a great church. Oh, gee, I'll tell you why. I said, I think it's a great church. Oh, all right, we're getting there. As I often say, if you don't believe it, nobody else will. And, um, and so it's great to be with you. And uh, yes, I've caught up with all sorts of people over the last few days, and that's been great. And uh, just some great people in this church, I tell you. Some fantastic people, that, and some that God's added in over you know, recent times. And it's just, uh, it's very exciting. So uh, leadership, you know, is mainly about credibility of life. And that's about doing well in every area of life. That's what gives us credibility, and that's about the practical application of biblical wisdom. One of the things that, uh, I guess, frustrates me as a pastor is that people can pray and prophesy and quote Scripture and then make a whole stack of dumb decisions. Now, I know nobody here does that, but in some places you go, you meet people that that sort of thing happens, you know? And uh, how many know the Bible is there to instruct us how, how to do life well? It's a very practical book. And, uh, and so those um, instructions to enable us to, to do well in life, in every area of life, include the application of biblical wisdom in the area of finance. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because... Um, I guess once or twice when I've been here, I've, I've felt like God wants to bring financial increase into a lot of people's lives. That's, that's what I really feel. And it's impacted me this time I've been here more uh, than any other time. And um, in fact, the business people and, and those of you with entrepreneurial desires on Saturday when I was praying, and I didn't get into it on Sunday because we seemed to do a bit of other stuff instead. But, um, but you know, I really felt the Lord just drop into my heart that, that people that are, are business people and entrepreneurial people in the house, God wants to bring you into a season of significant increase. Those are the words I felt the Holy Spirit drop into my heart, you know, significant increase. And there's something on the house about that and always has been. And, and from the, the time I first came here, I remember... Um, you know, right back, there's been that sense of, of an entrepreneurial grace over the house. It's, it's not for everybody, obviously, but there's, a, uh, I think, an unusual percentage of people within the house and coming into the house in the days ahead that will be in that regard. And, um, and to business people, I, you know, sometimes business people can get distracted. And if you're a business person here tonight, can I just encourage you to make a lot of money? There's no... <laughs> There's no point in being in business unless you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, if you're not going to make a lot of money, you might have saved yourselves a whole lot of pain and go work for somebody else, you know. Um, and it's just a fact. And um, so anyway, because that's what you're anointed for. So don't let people distract you from that. Uh, so, you know, religion and poverty go together. One of the ways religions, religion controls is through poverty. And there is a real poverty mindset around Christian circles. Uh, many people 
think to be truly spiritual, you've got to live in a cave and go around in goatskins. You know, there's still that kind of mindset so that if anybody uh, actually is into wealth creation and, and uh, all of those kind of things, uh, you know, the church I was pastoring was in the low socioeconomic side of town, but we had, as time went by, a lot of quite wealthy business people attending the church. And um, it was... It was very obvious that there were members of the congregation that were really uncomfortable with that. And uh, this, the sin of the poor is greed and envy because they actually want what the wealthy people have got, but they don't want to admit it. So somebody would drive in in a nice car and people would be, be kind of turning their nose up at the car, but at the same time they want it. Help me know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and so some of those things we just need to get over ourselves and face up for, for what it is and call it what it is. And, um, you know, generally speaking, it's not regarded as very spiritual to study what the Word of God has to say about finance. And as a consequence of that, people are ignorant of what the Bible says about finance. And because they're ignorant of it, they have no revelation, so they have no faith. And... Um, uh, poverty or prosperity or a mindset, it's got nothing to do with what's in your bank account or your purse or your wallet or anything else. It's got everything to do with what's in your heart. What you have by way of revelation of the Word of God and of the nature of God. And, um, and of course, poverty and prosperity uh, are much more than just money. They have to do with the conviction that determines how you do life. And in fact, both of those words in Scripture don't, if you take the word prosperity, it doesn't just apply to money. It's talking about success in every area of your life, but it also applies to money. And so, you know, where you sit on that spectrum of from poverty to prosperity will determine the way you think, the way you speak, what your expectations are in life, and whether you're a big thinker or a small thinker. Because people with a poverty mentality are small thinkers. So they don't actually believe God for many of his promises. They can't get there because their whole uh, you know, mindset and atmosphere is limited and restricted because of a poverty mindset. And I don't have time to go into the, the background of it other than to say this very quickly. If you look at the curse that came upon Adam as a result of the fall, God said to him, you're going to work your guts out all your life and you're just going to get by. And there's a lot of people live with that kind of mindset. But actually, Jesus died to break you out of that, to set you free from that. It says that though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. And that is in the context of finance. It's not talking about spiritual things. It's talking about money. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so one of the things that we've got to come to terms with is the fact that that, that Jesus has delivered us from poverty. Come on, somebody. From debt and poverty. See, but like everything else that he's delivered us from, everything else that's in our promised land, you have to go after it and you have to fight for it. Help me know what I'm talking about, see. So, <laughs> you see, the devil is a devourer and he wants to rob and steal and erode from every part of your life, whether it's your health, your relationships, 
your finance, whatever it is, he wants to come and wreck it. And he wants to take from you what is rightfully yours. On the other hand, God is a provider and a protector and a restorer. And so he wants to come and restore what the enemy has devoured. He wants to restore what you have lost. Uh, And he wants to provide for you abundantly. Turn to somebody and say, he's talking to you. Amen. God wants to provide for you abundantly. In fact, it says in Psalm 35 and 27, uh, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God takes pleasure when you prosper in life. It says, and you know this one so well, in 3 John 1, 2, I pray that you will prosper in all things and be in health as your soul prospers. So in other words, as you're doing your journey in God and you're growing in God, He wants every other aspect of your life to prosper in conjunction with how your soul is prospering. Say. So, throughout Scripture, one of the ways in which God has revealed His glory is through the obvious provision, His obvious provision in the lives of His people. Even in the desert times, even in times of famine and drought, even in times of persecution and difficulty, uh, it's one of the revelations, the way in which God reveals Himself and His love for His people is is in provision. You know, Jacob uh, sows seed in a time of famine and drought and gets a hundredfold return. Can you imagine in a drought, and we have some cracker droughts in Aussie, they go for years at a time, you know. And if you saw a farmer sowing in that condition, you would say the man is mad. He's just wasting thousands of dollars worth of diesel and seed and everything else. But Jacob sowed in famine. He sowed in drought and God blessed him. You might be in drought right now. Let me tell you something. God will bless you. He'll look after you there. But it it depends so much on how we position ourselves, what we believe, what we expect and what we're speaking. And so tonight I want to uh, share some things with you uh, because I, I believe God wants economic empowerment in the church. You see, the thing is with it that we can get very spiritual, but the reality is the church goes forward on dollars and cents. It's as simple as that. You can have all the vision you like. You can pray and prophesy and do whatever you like. But at the end of the day, it takes money to pay for where we're going. So if we want to impact the region, people have got to put their hands in their pockets. They've got to become a channel for the release of his resources. It's not taking your resources, but as you position yourself, allowing God, because if he can get it through you, he can get it to you. It's as simple as that. And so he wants economic empowerment. And um, the Bible, I, I believe, teaches very clearly financial increase in the lives of believers. And one of the things that we are taught, you know, the church is bombarded with people that are taught to give to sacrifice, to tithe, to bring offerings, to sow, but we're not often taught how to receive. And the reality is most of us are good at giving, but we're not much good at receiving. And, um, and, and there's no farmer that goes and sows seed without the expectation and effort of gathering the harvest. And uh, so tonight I want to talk to you 
about financial increase. Because I, I believe, I took over a church in the western suburbs of Melbourne that was a pretty broken church and, uh, and the, the congregation was made up of refugees, immigrants and factory workers. And so I hadn't been there very long and one or two people started saying to me, oh, you're one of those prosperity preachers. And I said, well, yes, actually I am, but not in the way you think. Because what we will do is not teach you about, you know, just the giving aspect. We'll teach you how to build an asset base. And we'll teach you how to, because the problem is if, if, you, if people are very generous, you know, we had quite a lot of Asian people, a lot of Filipinos and things like that, and they're very, very generous, you see. But the problem is they can only give a little bit because they've only got a little bit and they're always giving it away so they've never got much. So I was saying to them, you've got bread to eat and seed to sow. And part of the bread you've got to eat is meant to build your asset base. So that in a period of time, you won't be just emptying out your pocket, giving everything away. You'll build an asset base and then you can begin to give significantly. And, we can be, and I could take you to, to Filipinos that have been working in the same factory. They're still probably sitting at the same machine, pushing the same buttons, but now they've got three investment properties. You know, and I, I believe that's, that's the norm. That's not, and these are not people that are wealthy. They didn't start with a great lot of asset. They just learned how to operate their finances in a biblical way that released financial increase into their life. And so I, wanna, I want to spend the next couple of hours talking to you about some of that stuff. <laughs> Amen. All right, I've, I've got seven principles. I don't like using the word principle because principle is a law and it's cause and effect. And it works, but you don't get the breakthrough through principle. You get the breakthrough for hearing what God's saying to you. That's what brings breakthrough. So while I'm calling them principles, I don't know what else to call them because they are biblical principles, but you've got to overlay that with prophetic insight as with all principles of that. Okay, so number one is the principle of incremental increase. I think we've got some stuff going up there that'll just help you get the headings and the names. So Proverbs 6, 6 and 8 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and be wise. Even though they have no prince, governor or ruler to make them work, they labour hard all summer gathering food for the winter. Proverbs 12, 11 says, hard work means prosperity. Only fools idle away their time. And Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. So, Scripture consistently teaches us that attempts to make money quickly generally end in disaster. But that in fact, financial increase comes progressively and slowly as a result of hard work and wise decisions. And of course, we live in a society that's uh, so used to instant results and instant gratification. And so, uh, you know, we're always looking for the quick way out. Now, baby boomers and the buster generation generally are spenders. They live for the moment and they generally haven't saved or planned well for the future. In fact, there was a few years ago, there was um, a whole promotion that went on for probably about two years on, on Aussie TV. And the, the graphics of the, of the ads were, uh, you know, retired people uh, tripping around with their caravans or their boats and overseas trips and everything. And the caption was, spend your kids' inheritance. Well, let me tell you, that I was on a national superannuation board in Australia for nine years. And um, 
it's a few years since I left there, but, uh, but at the end of the time I was there, the statistics showed that 92% of Australians retire on an income of less than $15,000. 92%. And in a country like Australia or in a country like New Zealand, and I would suggest the, the figures are probably pretty similar in New Zealand, they'd still be pretty similar to that in Australia. The reality is there's no excuse for that at all. It's just really bad financial management. It's really not understanding how money works and what to do with money. And uh, planned discipline spending is critical for long-term wealth creation. There is a book out called The Richest Man in Babylon. I can't remember who wrote it. It's a little allegory that's been around for years. And the message of the book is you take 10% of everything you earn, you put it in an investment account and you don't touch it. Uh, I have a guy that used to be in the church I was pastoring. He was an Italian guy that arrived in Australia as a nine-year-old with a suitcase full of clothes and nothing else. He couldn't speak English. He went to school. He didn't understand what was going on. And so he left school at 14 and his father arranged him for him to become an apprentice to a plumber. He didn't even know what a plumber was. But anyway, he got apprenticed to this plumber. And at the time he started work, somebody said to him, Gino, you need to take 10% of everything you earn, put it in an investment account and don't touch it. Gino started doing that from the age of 14. Gino would be 60 now, about, uh, what would it be, about eight years ago, uh, he was offered $51 million for his business. And it all started with a commitment to long-term saving and the understanding of incremental increase that comes through compounding interest through long-term saving. And so when he had a bit of money, he built a small factory and leased it. And when he got a bit more, he built another factory and now they're building, uh, my son-in-law is one of his site managers and they would be building projects that are 30, 40, 50 million dollars. And so his, his organisation now would be worth, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe 250 million dollars or something. But, um, but see, See, what, we, what happens is this. Many people overestimate what can be achieved in the short term, but underestimate what can be achieved in the long term. And there is real power in incremental increase and compounding interest. And um, if you don't get anything else out of tonight, I challenge you to take 10%. Pay your tithes, bring your offerings, take 10% out of the rest, put it aside before you ever get your hands on it because you get your hands on it, you're going to spend it. How many know that? Put it aside, put it in an investment account and do not touch it. Let it grow. Now, I know that in the banking system today, the interest rates we're getting are abysmal, but at least it would be something that would be going there and over a period of time, it'll begin to grow until you have a sum of money that you can actually look at investing in whatever pushes your button at that time, you know. So, the principle of incremental increase is an understanding that solid growth occurs a little at a time, progressively, incremental, and it's the result of wisdom, patience, endurance and faith. The second thing is the principle of restoration. The prophecy in Joel 2 talks about the outpouring of the former and the latter rain and immediately followed by the promise of God restoring all that's been lost or devoured. And Holy Spirit comes to activate restoration in our lives. 
That's the message of that passage. And the word restore actually appears 52 times in Scripture in the uh, uh, King James, New King James. So that's once for every week of the year. <laughs> God comes to you and says, I want to restore. See, and how many know that's a faith thing? You get what you go after. You get what you believe. It depends what you carry in your heart by way of revelation and expectation, you see. And... Um, Jeremiah 33, 11 uh, says, um, you know, uh, give thanks to the Lord, uh, Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever for I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past, says the Lord. Zephaniah 2, 7, for the Lord their God will visit his people in kindness and restore their prosperity again. Now you might sit there and think, well, okay, that's Old Testament. But what about the parable of the prodigal son? which is a revelation of the heart of the Father. And the Father restored to him all he'd lost, all he'd wasted, and all that was eroded, you know, and he was fully restored to his position, uh, to his authority, to his provision, to his destiny. And it wasn't earned, it wasn't deserved, it wasn't negotiated for, it simply came out of the grace of the Father. And um, I want to say to you tonight that God wants to restore to you, not just which has been eroded by the enemy, but that which you have wasted and that which you have stolen. I believe that when you make a bad decision with money, you need to repent of it and access the grace of God and begin to believe Him for restoration to come in your lives. Come on, somebody, because He's a God of restoration. He's committed to that. And... Um, you know, you see that, I guess, uh, again, in the parable of the prodigal son and so on, it becomes so very clear that that is the heartbeat of God. And so the principle of restoration is the revelation of the heart of God as our healer, our deliverer, and the restorer of all things. And so it becomes to you and I an issue of our faith and expectation. Amen. So I hope you're expecting that. Which brings me to the third principle, which is the principle of expectations. Are you getting something out of this, by the way? Is this making some sense to you? Okay. The principle of expectations. In, in um, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, it says we're to, we're to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. That's the definition of the helmet of salvation that's referred to in Ephesians uh, in Ephesians 6. And so it's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And the word hope, biblical hope, is different from, uh, you know, the word hope as it's used in, in common, uh, you know, secular discussion, because hope in, in, in common usage is like wishful thinking. I hope it's going to work. I hope something's going to happen, you know. But biblical hope is not that. The definition of biblical hope is a confident expectation of good. And it's based on the fact of your salvation. You're in the family of God. Therefore, you should have a confident expectation of good for every area of your life. And, um, and so that hope, of course, uh, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, establishes the foundation for our faith. In other words, if I don't have a confident expectation of good, I have nothing for my faith to grab hold of. So... And so uh, hope becomes a seedbed of faith and, uh, and faith apprehends what we expect. And so our expectations are to be based on our understanding of the Word of God and of the nature of God. Sometimes God will take you beyond where His Word is working to see whether you will trust His nature. 
So what happens to Elijah, you know, he's, he's by brook Cherith. God says, drink from the brook. He goes there, he's sitting by the brook. The brook dries up. The word's no longer working. Have you ever been somewhere where the word's not working? You're praying for healing and it's not working. You know, you're believing God for that and it's not working. No, no, but you can trust his nature because he will never fail. He's faithful. He's always loving. So if you keep, keep in there and keep believing and keep speaking it, you know, you'll get the breakthrough. And, um, and I, I love this verse in 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, listen to this, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. One of the things I, I find is, is, is common in church circles is that when we talk about God meeting our needs, we dumb our needs down to survival level in our thinking. Well, I just need something to eat and somewhere to sleep. And... No, no, that's not God's ideal. It, it, it's quite clear. God, it, it says there that he, he gives us richly or abundantly, He gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So some of you need to shift your concepts, change your mindset, because at the end of the day, you get what you go for. You get what you expect. You get what you believe for. So if you're believing for your needs to be met at some dumbed down level, well, that's, that's according to your faith being unto you. I said on Sunday, you know, it says these signs will follow those that believe. The signs of what we believe are all around our life. That's just a fact. And... Um, and, you know, it says that, it says that God will uh, meet our needs according to his riches and glory, not out of his riches and glory. It's an entirely different concept. See, a father will look after their children according to their ability, not out of their ability, but according to their ability. So if I'm a wealthy man, I'm, how many of my kids are going to live pretty well as opposed to if I'm poor? because they will live according to my wealth. God wants to provide for you according to His riches and glory, not out of. He doesn't take a little bit. He says, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. You, you know, I'm proud of you, uh, you know, and I want you to, to live out of inheritance, see. We're to live out of inheritance. And inheritance is what somebody else paid for. Jesus has paid the price. So it's not about, oh man, we could get a whole lot of stuff right there. But it's, it's not about how hard you work, actually. Receiving the kingdom is, not a, is more, about, um, it's more about receiving than it is about achieving. So it's as I learn to receive His grace, as I position myself in faith to receive the fulfilment of His promise. Yes, I have to apply myself, obviously diligently, but it's not according to my ability because if it was according to my ability, then the return would be a lot less than when it's according to what He's provided. Come on, somebody. See, so, so you know, Joseph received a multicoloured coat and it was evidence of the Father's love and favour upon him. And it was a coat that was unique, it was conspicuous, and to some people it was offensive. 
It was a sign of the Father's love. And when favour comes on your life, it brings a dream into your life. It takes you on a journey. It adds value to your life. It brings increase into your life. See, wherever Joseph went, how many know he was on the increase? He was on the up. It didn't matter what happened. Throw him in prison, he's going to end up running the place. Make him a slave and he's going to run the house. God prospered him wherever he was because there was a mantle of favour upon his life. And I want to say to you tonight, there's a mantle of favour on your life. Come on, somebody, on your life. And you need to believe that and understand that and begin to lift your faith in anticipation of the outworking of all that that means. And um, uh, anyway, so actually, it's, uh, think about this. It's totally illogical for you to claim to be a child of God and not have a confident expectation of good for every area of your life. It's contrary, uh, it's contrary to Scripture. It's a denial of your faith. In fact, it's a slap in the face to God. It really is a rejection of the promises and power of God uh, because Jesus carried away our poverty. And so the principle of expectation is the maintenance of a disciplined mind that creates a platform of faith to bring the promises of God into the reality of your life. We're talking tonight about financial increase. Amen. Come on, somebody. Who's up for some financial increase? <laughs> Uh, and number four is the principle of an open heaven. In Deuteronomy 14, 22, 23, it says this, you shall tithe, you shall truly tithe all of the increase that you might learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the reason the tithe was included in the law was so that people would learn to live in the fear of the Lord. Of course, tithing was established before the law was given. Uh, in the day of grace that Abraham lived in, he paid a tithe and in others and what have you, Jacob and so on. But God included it in the law and the reason is here. So that in our financial lives, we would learn to, to honour God, put Him first, which is what, you know, the fear of the Lord is about. It's about recognising uh, He is... My Lord, He is God. He's established a pattern. And if I'm smart, I will walk in that pattern. See, I'll walk in it. And, um, and so the tithe was established to teach us the wisdom of God as it relates to finance and putting Him first in our finance. Now, here's a thought for you. you everybody operates their financial lives under the fear of something. You'll either operate it under the fear of of God, or you'll operate it under the fear of unpaid bills, the fear of the future, the fear God won't provide. There'll be all sorts of fears that will control what you do with finance. But God is saying, if you will honour me, there will come an open heaven over your life. And so an open heaven actually appears three times in Scripture. Uh, once when the heavens were opened and it rained down in Noah's day. A second occasion is when Jacob went to sleep at Bethel and, and the heavens were opened. And the third account, of course, is here in Malachi 3 that I'm referring to at the moment. And in the case of Malachi 3 and of Jacob, uh, you know, in Bethel, 
The open heavens associated with the tithe. Uh, Jacob paid a tithe and under the open heaven and so on. In Noah's case, of course, the open heaven was rain and that's a type of the Holy Spirit being poured down. And I don't have time to get into all of it tonight, but simply to say this, the tithe is associated with spiritual blessing, not material blessing. And we've got to be really clear about that. When he says he's opened the windows of heaven, that's talking about the outpouring of his spirit, his presence and his power and the outpouring of the spirit. And, um, and so the principle of an open heaven is the activity of faith in giving tithes. You don't pay tithes according to the law. We bring them as a free will offering, a tithe. We, pay, we bring them and offer them under the Lord. It's a faith principle. That's why even in Malachi, he says, prove me now with this. In other words, it's up to you. Are you going to step into faith and believe me and function my way? Or are you going to let some other fear stop you from stepping in? And, um, and see, what the tithe does, it releases the Father's blessing, the first thing. When it talks about robbing God, it's got nothing to do with the money. It's about that you rob Him of His fatherly right to bless you. God is bound by His Word. So if you don't bring in the tithe, He cannot, he cannot rebuke the devourer. He cannot bless the other 90% because the curse is on it. And we don't have time to get in the background, but if you want to do some study around, Jer around the fall of Jericho and Achan taking the money, that was actually the tithe of the land. And he said, you've taken the accursed thing because your finances are cursed until the tithe's released. Anyway, that's another sermon right there. But so tithing is curse insurance because God says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. So the 90% becomes blessed on the basis of the 10% that you, you bring and, and, and offer it under the Lord. And, um, and it releases the presence and power of God on your life. But also, if you look through that Malachi passage, you'll find after, he starts off talking about tithes and offerings. Then he talks about just the tithe, bring in the whole tithe and all over <clears throat> I'll open the windows of heaven. And then he said, I'll rebuke the devourer so that the seed you sow will bring forth a full harvest. So what happens is it, it releases the Father's blessing. It releases the Spirit of God. It brings uh, God's rebuke to the devourer so that when you, so it waters the seed you sow. Because when you start to sow seed, which is the giving over and above your tithe, it, it, will, it will produce a harvest because the devourer can't get at your harvest. So, and so, you know, a lot of the teaching around tithing has, has been very religious and, and, and a wrong interpretation of Malachi 3. If you, if you were to take the time to look at it in, in uh, King James or New King James, uh, with the understanding that the words that appear in the text in italics are added in to give meaning to the original text. And the original text of the last phrase here, where it talks about, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out, uh, so much blessing, you won't have room enough to contain it. How many have looked at that and wondered what went wrong? And, um, but actually, the, the actual text says, I'll open the windows of heaven, I'll pour out blessing. That's not enough. That's what the actual literal Hebrew says. Because then he goes on to talk about the need to sow seed. Because you can bring in your tithe and open the windows of heaven, but if you don't sow your seed, you'll have no material increase. Because your tithe opens the way for the seed to be blessed and the harvest to come in. But if there's no seed sown, there's no harvest coming in. How many know what I'm talking about? And so, so there, you know, anyway, you doing okay? I'm going flat out. I don't want to keep you all night. Um, but, um, but, you know, there's a, a real principle there. And, and 
Look, I know there's probably people in this room that think I can't afford to tithe. Listen, you can't afford not to tithe. It's as simple as that. If you understand what the tithe is, you do some study on it. The problem is people are ignorant of what it says because they haven't actually really studied it out and looked at it. But if you understood what tithing actually does in your life, what it releases, you, you would, I, would, I wouldn't dare to tithe, not to tithe, to be honest. And, and actually, let me just throw something else in there. Tithing is baby stuff because you learn about it when you're a baby Christian. So you've got to get beyond tithing. When you come to the New Testament, the tithe pales into insignificance. It's not what you give, it's what you don't give. It's what he doesn't have access to. What are you hanging on that he can't get hold of? Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. How many know what I'm talking about? So, and so we, we struggle with baby stuff because it, we really need to mature in our faith and become significant givers. Now, I've lived most of my life on a really low income, very low income, but we've got a debt-free home and I've got a, a near new car. I've got a, a beautiful boat. It's all paid for. And it hasn't come out of people giving me money. No, nobody's ever given me large sums of money. Never have. And any money that does come into us goes into the ministry account and it pays for a whole lot of stuff. We draw very little out of it. But I've operated on these principles for years and years and years. And I don't know how it works. To be honest with you, I don't know how it works. How many know God's just bigger than all of that? And so, so if you're struggling with it, can I encourage you tonight to do what he says and prove him? Just begin to, you know, believe God. Don't, don't start tithing and then whinging about it. Start tithing and believing God and speaking to it, see, and, and just begin to move into that. Amen. Number five, the principle of the seed. In Mark chapter four, in fact, the whole of this chapter, Jesus is talking about sowing and reaping and he talks about the parable of the sower and later when uh, he's alone with the disciples, they ask him to explain it. Well, what's this all about? And so he said this to them in verse 11, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And so what he's saying is, if you don't understand what sowing and reaping is all about, you'll never understand how the kingdom works. It's the mystery of the kingdom. It's an understanding of how it works. And so he's saying that the whole kingdom of God operates on the basis, the law of sowing and reaping. It's God's order for increase. And he continued on down through that passage and you can look at it at your leisure because he keeps on talking about the kingdom of God is as if a man scattered seed on the ground and sleeps and blah, blah, and it grows and all of that. And then he further down, he says, so what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture? It's like a mustard seed, which when it's sown in the ground is smaller. And so repeatedly, he's just going over, this is what the kingdom of God is, is like. And of course, the kingdom itself is like that. Jesus, how many know Jesus was the seed that was sown? And since that seed was sown, how much fruit has come out of that seed? You know, the seed has the power of incredible multiplication. Incredible multiplication. See, if you think about it, you take one apple seed and you plant it. How many know as long as it's in your pocket, it's not going to grow? <laughs> but if you take that apple seed and you plant it, you, you don't get an apple, you get a tree and it's covered in apples 
And if you were to take all the seeds off the apple tree and plant those, how many know in no time flat you've got an orchard? You've got millions of apples. That's the power of a seed. See? And, and so repeatedly, he's teaching us this is the order of increase. In any area of your life, if you have need, sow a seed. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you must first of all show yourself friendly. Sow a seed. See? And, um, and, and Paul picks this up. In fact, if you want good New Testament teaching on uh, on finance, read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, because those, pass- those two chapters are exclusively about finance in a New Testament context. And in the middle of that, of course, Paul is teaching the Corinthians about their giving, and he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, whoever sows generously reaps generously. And he's, he's saying to them, your money is seed. And, uh, and so he's, he's, he's instructing them that their financial increase is directly related to their giving. Now, you've got seed to sow and bread to eat. Don't sow the bread and don't eat the seed, you know? And so it's not about giving away everything. It's about giving away what God wants you to give away and using what He's given you to use to build your asset base and take care of yourself. See? And so, so this is why we have to pray about our giving. Because I, I don't know what is my seed and what is my bread. And it changes. Because one day, how many know God wants to grow your faith? And so, so you'll be going along, giving at whatever level and, and it's all good. And then if you're really serious and sincere about how you handle your money, see, a steward has to be faithful to the master. So I'm just a steward. I don't own anything. So I've got to listen to what the master wants me to done with the re- do with the resources that he's entrusted to me. So I have to pray about it. And, I, and every now and again, he'll go, okay, this is what I want you to do. And it scares you. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, it's kind of like he's, he's going, come on. You know, you're going to believe me again. You're going to sow again, you know. And, um, and actually, I, I remember I was talking to the Lord about harvest. There's a lot of stuff about sowing, but not much about harvest, Lord. What is it? And uh, in the course of things, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit said to me about the farmer, the, the, the parable of the sower. And he said to me, you know, that guy was, was stupid. That farmer was stupid. And I, what? and I started to think about it. And I thought, what farmer goes out and throws seed on the roadway and in the stones and in, the, in amongst the thorns? And out of that, the Lord began to say to me, the harvest automatically comes when seed is sown in good soil. And he was saying to me, you be careful where you sow. Don't waste your seed. Put it where I tell you to put it. Put it into an anointing that will release life. Not, not every place has got an anointing to release life. Some of it's dead and the seed just rots. It gets choked out. You, you know, get trampled on. All of that kind of thing. And so you've got, to, you've got to allow God to lead you and your money is seed and has incredible power of multiplication. So you say, so by faith, not in response to a principle or a law. And uh, a kingdom return on seed sown in faith, according to the Scriptures, is a minimum of 30 times what you sow. 30, 60, 100-fold. That's not 100%. It's 100 times. See? So I'll tell you what I do. I, 
I'm very regularly, almost daily, I take authority over every spirit that comes to devour my financial well-being and my financial future. And I pray for my harvest and I speak to my harvest because the devourer has been rebuked over my harvest and so I water it with my prayers and I call it in. And I say, Father, I'm believing you for a hundredfold return on everything I've sown in money, time and effort. I'm, come on, somebody. See, we live by faith, see. And, and so you've got to step into the realm of the Spirit and build it there and make sure the devourer doesn't pinch your harvest, amen, and uh, all of that, you know, and begin to exercise faith. So the principle of seed is understanding God's order of increase, and it's a faith response to the promise of an increased return. And, you know, faith's always risky to the natural man. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, you take a step and your, your old flesh is screaming and, and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And um, anyway, you doing Okay. Okay, number six, the principle of confession. Proverbs 13, verse 2 and 3. Listen to this. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. I want you to think about that. You don't eat well by what goes into your mouth. You eat well by what comes out of your mouth. You eat well by the fruit of your mouth. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. So there is a, a progression that goes like this. Meditation, revelation, declaration, activation. So as I meditate upon the Scriptures, God gives me revelation. Amen? Something's quickened to me. He speaks to me. Revelation. So in order for that revelation to become a reality in my life, your authority, my authority is in my mouth. So I take that revelation and make it a declaration. I often say every prayer has got to become a prophecy. You begin to declare it, see, over my life. And it's in the declaration that brings about an activation in the spirit of what God has said. So I eat well by the fruit of my mouth about the declaration I make that's out of revelation. But here's the thing. A lot of people won't put in the time for the meditation to get the revelation. So they get hold of a bit of Scripture and they start to make the declaration and it's actually an attempt of manipulation. <laughs> They're trying to get God's... You know, how many know God doesn't, doesn't have to do anything? You can quote Scripture at Him all day long. But if it doesn't come out of revelation, it won't have faith attached to it and it won't have grace on it, see? And so you're just trying to get God's arm up His back and it's pretty hard to do, I've got to tell you. I can tell you that from experience. I've tried it myself. It doesn't work, you know. So, he, so it says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So whatever you're getting hold of, keep speaking that. See, don't waver with it. And then I love this verse here. In Job 22, 28, it says, You'll declare a thing and it will be established for you so light will shine on your way. The power of death and life is in your tongue. So whatever you're declaring is going to be established for you. See? But if you're declaring the right things, if you're declaring 
faith and hope and the Word of God, the promises of God, light will shine on your way because there's a clarity now coming in the Spirit around your life. Many people don't have clarity in their life because what's coming out of their mouth is creating confusion. They're speaking blessing one minute and cursing the next. They're speaking life and they're speaking death. They're speaking healing. They're speaking sickness. They're speaking poverty. They're speaking prosperity. And the whole thing's going... And so they don't, they don't know where they're going because there's no light shining on their path. But if we will learn to, to speak, you see, every word, every statement you're making is either building the kingdom of darkness around your life or building the kingdom of light. And so as we declare, you know, what, what we believe God has for us, you know, in, in business, it's so important that you learn how to prophesy into your marketplace. And I don't necessarily mean standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, but getting some revelation about something and, and declaring that and speaking it and calling it in. You know, I, I was promoted years ago now, but, but very rapidly through a large manufacturing engineering corporation and became the... Um, marketing manager for five companies within the within the organization and you know I didn't know what I was doing I mean it was the days before computers and stuff like that and so one of the product ranges I was looking after we exported to 34 different countries around the world and we were a marketing based manufacturing engineering uh, company so that meant we manufactured what we predicted the market would take so in other words, we didn't just manufacture stuff and then try to go and sell it. We, we would do, and in those days, market research was extremely limited, you know. And, um, and so we'd work out what the market in Germany was going to take next season or whatever it was and manufacture the pumps and stuff according to that. And so I was required to be predicting what was going on in the markets of countries I'd hardly ever heard of. And, uh, and so how I, how, I, how I dealt with that and, um, and nobody, nobody knows really, but they certainly didn't know at the time. But I'd go into my office and tell my secretary, don't let anybody disturb me. I'd lay out stuff on my desk of, you know, projections and all the rest of it. And I'd walk around speaking in tongues until I got some revelation about it. And I would literally be ordering manufacturing. And some of it you've got to realise, you know, the, the, the timeline for some of the products was 12 months. So there's a huge amount of work going in. We're talking about stuff that's worth a lot of money. And, um, and so what happened within about 12, 18 months, and, and, my, and a lot of the products have been in the market for a long time, the ranges, but, but everything I touched went up, you know, 25, 30%, like the, the, the sales. And so suddenly I'm the snowy-haired boy that can't do anything wrong, you know. And, and, but that was how. It was about revelation. It's about what God's saying to me. And then I'd get something and then I'd be speaking it into the, into the market in Scandinavia and Germany and England and South Island and whatever else, you know, just kind of getting a hold of it because I didn't know anything else to do. You know, it was, I was promoted way beyond my experience, way beyond my education. And I wasn't there that long until I left that to go and pastor a little church that had been there for 30 years and had 27 people. But, but the reality is I, th I think God just allowed me to have a little snippet of what can happen in the marketplace if you begin to really believe God and flow in the Spirit, see, and listen to what He's saying and begin to do that. And it's the same in every 
area of your life. Creflo Dollar says this, your tongue is the master key to your life. I love that. That's so true. It's such a powerful thing. And so you can't claim to be believing God for financial increase and at the same time speaking doubt and fear and unbelief and poverty. Your speech creates an environment. And we need to create an environment of faith and enlarged thinking, you know, and believing God. He's the God of the impossible, amen? And, um, and so there we go. So the principle of confession is the recognition that my tongue has power over my financial increase. It is the determination to get His promises so settled in my heart that every time I open my mouth, that's what comes out, you know? And then finally, uh, number seven, the principle of surrender. Uh, Mark 8, Jesus called the people to himself with his disciples and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Your access to the things of the kingdom comes through surrender, comes through yielding, comes through laying down your life and then you will find it. It's, it's about taking up the cross daily. As I said before, it's more about receiving than about achieving. So it's about positioning. The way up often is down. The lower we go, the higher we go. And, um, and see, Joseph understood the principle of surrender, or at least his destiny. Abraham understood it when he was asked to, you know, offer his son as a sacrifice. And how many of you know that's an, an incredible situation right there? But it released supernatural provision uh, of God into his life, the revelation of Jehovah Jireh. And God said to him, it's at the top of the mountain. You will get it at the top of the mountain. It's a mountain that all of us have to climb. Jehovah Jireh, the revelation of Jehovah Jireh is found at the top of the mountain of sacrifice. That's the only place it's found. And so I have to be going on the journey of laying down my life, laying down my natural thinking, laying down my preferences, laying down my personal desires and learning to yield to the Spirit and allowing the Word of God to be the ultimate authority in my life, that whether it makes sense or not, whether it's comfortable or not, I determine to walk in His ways. And as I do that, I access kingdom. It says it's the Father's good pleasure to give, give us the kingdom. So God is not reticent to, to release to us all that the kingdom contains, but it's about us getting into position where He can entrust us with that, see? and release it. And so uh, it's our surrender, it's in our surrender that His power is released. <clears throat> it's in our surrender that our potential is realised. It's in our surrender that we access our destiny. It's in our surrender that we, we prove our ability to handle the increase. See? And so it's our thinking controls our life. The most influential voice you listen to is the voice of your own mind and imaginations. It's the one inside of you that says you can do this, you can't, you shouldn't go there, you're not like that, and you're not, you know, you're not this, you're not that, whatever else. And that's what you've got to let die. <laughs> you, you have to let your own thoughts 
and the, your own mind and all of that wrestling has got to be laid on the altar. So, and um, I was saying to the staff, I think it was earlier today, that one of the greatest deceptions of our time is this deception to be led by our intellect rather than being led by the Spirit. And, uh, you know, with our increased this information age in which we live with uh, increased focus on education and, and the wisdom of man, which is foolishness, uh, you know, there's, there's that leaning into intellectual understanding where God says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So, and so... The, the principle of surrender is about understanding that. And um, the voice of our doubt and fear needs to be surrendered. Our negativity, our unbelief, all of that needs to be surrendered. We even need to surrender. Some of us need to surrender the, where the, fear of wealth in, uh, the fear of wealth creation and the misunderstanding that can come with it. I found that, you know, a lot of people, and there's all sorts of research around this, all sorts of stats that are very interesting, but people are happy to earn a certain amount, but they don't want to earn above that. And part of it, in fact, there's good stats that say you'll never earn more than 30% above the people you mix with because it's emotionally too big a challenge because you lose your friends. And the people around you need to change because they don't have a mindset like you have. And so it pulls us back down. And so there's, there's an emotional um, growth that needs to take place to, to actually position ourselves for wealth increase and wealth creation. And I want to say to you tonight, I believe God actually wants all of us to embrace that concept at least to some degree. That doesn't mean we're all meant to be millionaires and mind you, millions, not much these days, is it? But, you know, <laughs> we're not all meant to be wealthy and drive fancy cars. Is that what I'm talking about? I'm talking about becoming a channel for the resources of God. If you've got a small mind, he can only give you a small amount. But if we allow ourselves to grow and begin to embrace some of these things we're talking about tonight, it begins to open us up to become channels for the resources of God. And, and it just changes everything, you know. Let me finish with, with um, one more verse. It says in Isaiah 32 and verse 8, that generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. <laughs> you have to make up your mind to be a generous person all the time and plan for it. So Daryl and I for years have had, had a planned giving account that a percentage of everything we have goes straight into the giving account, both in the ministry and in our personal lives. And we plan to be generous and we, we just give it away. We just give it away. That's additional to our tithes and offerings. It's a separate thing. It's a generosity thing. And, and, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that to, to make me look good. It's just the grace of God on our lives. It's just I have a big commitment to I live this stuff, you know, because I, you know, I just love it, actually, because I grew up in absolute poverty, so I, I hate all of that, you know. And... Um, and so I've, I've tried to position myself as best I can to be a channel for the resources of God. And just to, and, and see, if you plan generosity, and you've got to stand firm in it. See, because what happens, how many know you all get tested on things, you know? 
Things go up and down. So planning your generosity and standing firm in it has got nothing to do with your income. It's got nothing to do whether it's a good month or a bad month or a mediocre month. You just work with percentages and you refuse to be bent on it. When I'm going through a tight time, I'll say to my wife, I'm taking you out for dinner tonight. And she'll go, should we do it now? I said, this is exactly the time we should do it. Absolutely. I'm not going to come under that spirit that wants to shift my thinking and the intimidation the enemy wants to bring. And so, you know, you get what you go for. And, and, and uh, anyway, time's gone, but I just want to encourage you that God has so much more for you in this area. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media 